going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is all the thoughts and fallout from Survivor Series War Games. You're going to have to excuse me. I am as sick now as I was when I recorded the preview, but I couldn't not do a, uh, a reaction, thoughts, uh, come up here and say something about War Games, because even without the the big thing that we're all going to talk about, this was still an awesome show. This was still a really, really cool show. The packed-out arena in Chicago looked amazing, and there's a lot to talk about other than the thing. But trust me, trust me, cross my heart, we are going to talk about the thing. Oh, yes. So... Excuse me having no voice. Excuse me if this is a bit shorter than normal. We're going to talk about Survivor Series War Games, and then we're going to talk about The Thing. Oh, yes. Let's talk about, generically, War Games, first of all. The Nakamura call-out didn't happen at War Games. Uh, Humberto and Angel Garza, who were rumored to come back from NXT, did not happen at War Games. Authors of Pain and Gallus did not show up at War Games. And Jade Cargill did not make her debut at War Games. Who did make their debut at War Games is 17,000-something people. So many people that in an era where AEW have to tarp off half the arena because nobody's there, WWE has to tear down their entryway and leave a tunnel to make room for more people. That's who did show up. It was awesome. SmackDown was awesome. SmackDown, with the pay-per-view stage already set up, was a really cool thing to see as well. I would love to know what you guys think. That's, that smaller, low-key entrance tunnel, rather than a big uh, entrance stage, is something that I would like them to keep, actually because they've gone so far with the LED, HD, uh, let's make it as big a spectacle as you can entrance, I would love them to go the other way. I would love them to go back to a small tunnel and just let the audience be the audience, because I think it looks a lot cooler. Now, on SmackDown, the double cage hanging over the single ring was 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 weird looking a little bit, especially because you had the, uh, the pretty deadly disco ball hanging in the center, which was weird. SmackDown, you also had the falling out of the Brawling Brutes, which is a thing that we need to talk about eventually, but not today. Um, but they said, what did they say? Something like 33,000 total tickets sold in that building for just SmackDown and the pay-per-view. Now, I said the pay-per-view had an amazing crowd. SmackDown, for a regular weekly show, had an insane-looking crowd as well. And that's really cool. And um, I just, I didn't get to talk about SmackDown. Obviously, the uh, the tag team title match didn't result in, in anything. Uh, Carlito got attacked on SmackDown, and his replacement on the pay-per-view was Dragon Lee. And we're going to get to that. But with no disrespect to Carlito whatsoever, it is cool to see him back in the company. Dragon Lee versus Santos Escobar was a more interesting match going into the show so for a last minute switch over a last minute change and as I speculated on the on the kickoff or on the uh, preview rather uh, we are gonna get a big 
collection of assholes taking on a bunch of people representing Rey Mysterio at some point. I'm more sure of that now than I was before, but let's get into the show. We started with the Women's War Games match, because typically, when there's two of something, be it the Rumble, be it the Chamber, be it War Games, be it the Iron Survivor that's coming in a couple of weeks, uh, they usually top and tail the show with it, which is awesome, because it gives you some stuff to watch in the middle, and you're not uh, going with the Law of Diminishing Returns. What I like about this is, with all the rumors of Jade Cargill, with all the rumors, uh, towards the end of last week, the rumors of Sasha Banks, which, you know what, at this point, fuck it, let's do it, why not? Uh, with the fact that it was four instead of five, there was going to be something, there was going to be an addition, there was going to be a subtraction, somebody was going to be attacked before the match. It couldn't just be a four-on-four, four. we were so sure of it, because the five-on-five five for the men's um, was a five-on-five, five and this was a four-on-four. Four. But no, it literally was what it said on the tin, it was what it said on the graphic, and I think they didn't have to do anything to it, and it stood for itself, and I think that's that's a weird level of accomplishment. Um, they wanted to give the baby faces the advantage in this, so they put the blame for that on the sponsor, which was Ruffles, which I thought was an interesting tact. Now, I will say, uh, as anybody else will say, that in a situation like this where there's going to be an advantage, it should go to the heels, because the baby faces will be fighting from underneath and whatever. But, I will also say that the team that has the advantage, or sorry, the team that has the disadvantage in war games also has one competitor on their team that is the freshest competitor at the end of the match. So both teams get an advantage in a different way, or you could have them enter as A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A, A, B. Um, but they don't do that. They, they always play up the advantage thing. So the baby faces having the advantage never really never really makes any sense, but they wanted to do, they didn't want to tell two identical stories, and spoiler alert, the Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre have the advantage in the main event, so they put the blame on Ruffles, which meant you had the Ruffles gimmicks all around the ring and whatever, and people still pretend to be, like, precious and bothered by that, which I really don't understand. Nobody was complaining when the New Day were coming out dressed as serial characters, and that was way goofier than this. And, you know, R.I.P. Bray Wyatt, but the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match was awesome, so let's not pretend that marketing ruins wrestling, shall we? Damage Control all came out in Asuka masks as a show of unity. There was no Dakota Kai, interestingly enough. Bailey and Becky were the first two ones in the ring, and on the outside you saw Dakota Kai, who was waiting on the other side, you know, poking at Becky Lynch with a, uh, with a kendo stick, um, which was really, really contrived and kind of funny, but whatever the case may be. Overall, my girl Shotzi was great in this match. This is why I love the fact that there wasn't a beatdown angle, because if there had been a beatdown angle to shove Jade Cargill in there, let's be real, they would have done it to Shotzi, because Shotzi doesn't get her flowers just yet. Shotzi Blackheart, if you watch her at the end, I mean, they show group shots at the end of the match, but um, they don't really zoom in on her a whole lot. Look at her face at the end of that match. She went round the houses in this match and took a lot of bumps. Um, so, in a weird way, really, really cool, really happy to see Shotzi do her thing in a match that is very much her thing. Bianca Belair doubled down on the stupid hair braid thing. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. EO Sky brought back the uh, the garbage bin spot from the NXT War Games that she did, except it was cool this time around because she came into that match with a chain that was later 
used to bind together, I think, Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair for a four-way dropkick spot. It was a dropkick party. Oh, yes. But that chain, she brought up to the top of the cage with her and lowered it down to Dakota Kai so that Dakota Kai could raise up a, a garbage can like a dumbwaiter so that she could do the, the, the garbage bin top of the cage crossbody with a bin spot was there. Um, Asuka was misting people. Asuka misted Shotzi at one point and Shotzi took a really nasty bump sort of between the ropes in the cage, which was a little bit precarious. But Bianca Belair fought off Asuka's mist with a fire extinguisher and that spot did make me chuckle. So top, uh, my top hat is tipped to Bianca Belair for that. Top of the cage moonsault by Charlotte Flair always looks good. I mean, when she did the, when she did the moonsault, uh, Eo Sky caught a caught a shin to the forehead, and she's got a bruise on her forehead today that she's shown on social media, which weirdos are using to say that WWE is an unsafe work environment. But I mean, she bruised her forehead; she didn't shatter her entire orbital bone. Let's make a differential here. Becky and Charlotte teased dissension through this whole match. They didn't ignore the history. They did. They played it up on SmackDown to the point where they lost the tag team match on SmackDown, and then they finally. They hit a double suplex on somebody, and then they had their KO and Sammy hug it out moment in the middle of the match, and I don't care. That was fucking awesome. I like Charlotte. You're allowed to like Charlotte, even though she's white, blonde, successful, and has an unpopular dad, and just about everybody that's not a moron loves Becky Lynch, so that was cool. Those two were as fun at the press conference as Jay and Cody were last time around. So go check that out if you haven't seen it. They roasted one dude who asked uh, what they thought about the new younger generation of women coming up. And uh, he sat there and spun for a minute. That was really interesting. Bailey took a... Here's the other story of the, of the match. We know Bailey's going to get turned on eventually. Bailey took a bullet for each and every single one of her teammates at least once in this match. And at the end of the match, Bailey takes everybody's finisher, including a super manhandle slam off the second rope through the table as the babyfaces get the win. There was no surprises. There was no beatdowns. There was no... Um, uh, you know, extra added people, there was no subtracted people, there was no funny business, there was a little bit of Dakota Kai on the outside, but she's part of the team and they're the heels, so it kind of made sense. It's not like she did a run-in, she handed a weapon to somebody who's allowed to use the weapon, because it's a weapons match. But, <coughs> excuse me, this was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. Damage control were awesome. The amount of, ta I'm sorry, I know not everybody is into Shotzi. I'm really into Shotzi. The other thing that I would say is Shotzi coming out in the opening scene on Smack, or the opening segment, I should say, on SmackDown being super crazy, and then having the heartfelt moment with Charlotte Flair later on in the night trying to get Charlotte Flair and Becky to come together. That was really cool. I say this because a lot of people don't like the crazy, over-the-top Shotzi gimmick. I love it. But I also have, have met... Shotzi Blackheart, and I'm not doing that to do a name drop, but I met her when she was wrestling for Destiny, and I had the chance to chat with her for like five seconds or so, let's be real for a second, but like, in reality, she's like the nicest, most like, soft-spoken, regular person out there, so to know that, and see her do the crazy thing on TV, and see her have like a heart-to-heart -heart moment on TV was a really, really cool thing. Uh, for me personally, but then I'm a bit biased. Yes, Destiny, check it off your Spass Phoenix bucket list. It's fine. Uh, Becky joining the team. Um, 
finally burying the hatchet with Charlotte was a nice, cool moment. Now, there's a cool thing to come out of this. They're teasing that they might go for the tag team titles, and everybody's freaking out that, well, they can't do that because Becky's on Raw, that doesn't make any sense, blah, 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 blah. The whole point is that the women's tag team titles, and the men's tag team titles, actually, now, are cross-branded titles. So who's to say you couldn't have a tag team that consists of one member from each uh, from each brand? You could have somebody from SmackDown team up with somebody from NXT if you really wanted to. So, like, that doesn't make any sense. If they go for the tag titles, that's awesome. Uh, I really hope this keeps Shotzi in mind as more of the main event fixture. I hope she gets a title shot against somebody at some point. I'm glad she's on SmackDown, because I think right now she'd get swashed going up against Rhea Ripley on Raw. But again, Shotzi Blackheart and Rhea Ripley would just be an awesome match. I, I really want good things for Shotzi, because I was afraid they were going to write her out of this match, and they didn't, so maybe that's a good thing. Gunther and Miz, there's not really much to say. I said it in the preview. I said this is really going to be a test of if the Miz can actually pull off being the underdog, babyface, like, stalwart, moral guy. He didn't. He is the underdog, babyface that everybody loves, and cheats anyway, and people are okay with it because he's the babyface. He's... People are not going to like this comparison. They're not, and I'm sorry if this bothers you. He's trying to be an Eddie Guerrero. Again, I'm saying, I don't know that it's necessarily going to succeed. I don't know that people are ever going to buy Miz as a babyface. But if he's going to try and be a babyface, an Eddie Guerrero lie, cheat, steal babyface is probably the closest you're going to get to that. They had a great match. Even Gunther said in the press conference, he's like, you know, I'm not the typical kind of superstar that WWE would normally have hired. Miz is that. I looked at that as a sort of a unique challenge. I hope this puts to bed, you know, all these ideas that he's the greatest IC champion of all time, etc., etc. Miz goes for the leg a lot. Um, Miz does go for the skull-crushing finale on Gunther, which was visually something kind of cool to see. Uh, the fact that Gunther beat him with a power bomb in the walls of Jericho, and people said on commentary that they name-dropped Chris Jericho when they were talking about IC title holders. So that, combined with the walls of Jericho... Let me see Jericho back in WWE. Why would you take something silly like that and think that it's a sign of something? Well, how did the end of the night go? Gunther Miz was fun. I don't think we need to see it again, to be perfectly honest. I do think we need to get back to Gunther versus Chad Gable at some point. <coughs> Sorry, guys. But this did what it was supposed to do. It was a test for Miz, character-wise. It was a test for Gunther. Like, he's a wrestler. Can he have a superstar match? So I think they both pulled it off really great. That's awesome. I'm not, I wouldn't usually talk about advertising, but they had a Ruffles ad in the back, and it was between the Alpha Academy and Pretty Deadly. Now, you got to imagine as well, I'm watching this, and I'm also watching the What Culture uh, live watch-along, who are in the UK, who are talking about chips being crisps, and crisps being chips, and all that sort of thing, and Pretty Deadly calls them crisps, and and Alpha Academy called them chips, and they toss the, the chips all over the place. I'm going to call them chips because I live in Canada, sorry. Uh, and the one that breaks up the fight is a returning R-Truth who says they're not chips or crisps, they're ruffles. I don't care. It's R-Truth. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. It was pretty cool to see him. And I mean, what a return at Survivor Series. 
Santos Escobar versus Dragon Lee was good. Uh, like I said before, if you watched SmackDown, you saw Carlito was attacked. He hit him with a flying knee to the back of the shoulder, which really looked gross. I'm not going to lie. Like, I know it was pro probably planned. Dragon Lee is going to be part of this story, but it looked like the way he fell forward when he got hit was really gross. Um... It was a great, it was a fa fast, pit, fast paced match. I can speak, I swear. Um, I want to say the oh, like a couple of good luchadors went out and did a couple of good luchador things, but they did some more than that. One of the big things, once again, there was no interference. There was no bullshit. There was no. Um, again, the rumors were that Angel, Angel Garza and Umberto Carrillo were going to come up from NXT and join Santos Escobar for this big group thing that they've got brewing, which will come, by the way, but it didn't come tonight, and that is okay. The rest of the LWO didn't come out to support Dragon Lee either, and that was okay, because it made the match stick out. The match is now where we expect, especially with all the faction warfare that's going on in WWE right now, the matches that we go into and think, Oh yeah, they're going to be really good, but there's going to be a lot of interference, everybody's going to be at ringside, whatever. The ones that don't, the ones that just end up being matches for matches' sake, are are the ones that stick out now. And it was really good. They did do some mask stuff at some point, because with a luchador-based uh, uh, match, uh, especially with somebody that used to wear a mask and somebody who's still wearing a mask, the mask thing is going to become a story at some point. So he goes for the mask and he tears it about halfway off. Um, Santos Escobar hits the Canadian Destroyer, which they called the South of the Border Destroyer, which I like, uh, followed by the Phantom Driver, for the win. Now, not only does this get a clean win for Santos, not only does he now have two finishers with the Phantom Driver and the South of the Border Destroyer, but because he's broken away from the LWO, he's gone back to his legato music, and I really like his legato music. It's nice. Uh, it fits him. The LWO was a cool babyface group of people, so they obviously had like upbeat, happy music and whatever, but the, the legato music is just awesome. I really like it. And in a big arena, when it echo, it's the kind of music that when it echoes just a little bit, it actually sounds better. Ah, switching gears now to Ripley versus Stark, and again, it's a lot like Gunther and, um, it's a lot like Gunther and Miz. You knew who was going to win. Ripley is a star. That's the understatement of the century. I would say Ripley's probably the biggest individual success story of 2023, if not going back to 2022. Um, great showcase for Zoe Stark. Uh, Ripley continues to go through individually the people that she went through in that five-way not too long ago. She's been through uh, Raquel. She's been through Baszler. She's been through Stark now. Unfortunately, this means she's going to have a pay-per-view match against Nia Jax, which I'm not that excited about. Again, Ripley gets the clean win and uh, avoided the Z360, which was what Zoe Stark called out uh, after the five-way was over. It's like, yeah, I hit you with the Z360 and you were out. If that had been a one-on-one -on -one match, I'd be the champion while well, she managed to avoid the Z360. Threw her a headbutt at one point. Um, I thought they would have finished it off with the Super Riptide, but they didn't do that. But that's also fine. Rhea Ripley, I, I can't say enough good things about Rhea Ripley. She's fucking awesome. The main event, or, well, I should say the main event match, anyway, was the men's 
War Games match. Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre versus Cody, Sammy, Jay, Seth, and Randy Orton's not here? I don't know what's going on. They teased for the whole show that Randy Orton wasn't coming, which led to a few CM Punk chants, which I think is kind of ironic considering the fact that they pre-announced Randy Orton so that they could negate some of the CM Punk chants. Like, no, 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 don't expect CM Punk. It's going to be Randy Orton. But then they said that he wasn't coming, which in a different year would have meant, like I said in the first one, oh, so-and-so's been taken out, here's a replacement, and it's even cooler. But um, but they teased that he wasn't coming out, they teased that he wasn't coming out, they teased that he wasn't coming out, all through the night, uh, Jey Uso out there selling, oh, he's not going to help, it's because of me, it's because of what me and the bloodline did to him, and, you know, Seth yelling at Cody, because Cody was the one that wanted to bring him in, and said he was coming, and all that kind of thing. And it's kind of cool, there's kind of a parallel between the two groups, because on one side, there's tension between Drew McIntyre and Damian Priest. On the other side, there's tension between Seth and Cody. Seth versus Finn, as a singles match, is a great way to start. Um, War Games is a great pile of people match. It really is. I, I like War Games. I've liked it ever since Triple H brought it to NXT. I won't say anything further than that, because I never watched... NWA or WCW when War Games was a thing. So my introduction was at NXT, was this version of the no-lid uh, War Games concept. Um, but it is, it is an awesome pile of people chaotic match, but what you do get for the first three minutes is a singles match, so you have to pick your first two people appropriately. Becky and Bailey as a singles match, with so much history between them and all that, and plus the fact that they're just two amazingly great talents uh, is a good singles match to start off the larger group match. It's the same thing here. The the amount of history, like even before Judgment Day was a thing, the amount of history between Seth and Finn Balor speaks for itself. So to have the two of them start off, and then the very next person in there to be J.D. McDonough. J.D. McDonough in this match took so much offense from everybody. He kind of got ping-ponged around. He was kind of the, you know, let's punch him in the face because it's funny guy, and when you consider he's on a team with Dominic Mysterio, for him to take that role instead is is almost mind-boggling. Um, we uh, we told the story when Drew McIntyre got in there about him and, and Jay, uh, because that is a big driving force between him and Judgment Day, and why he's in that match in the first place, and it continues Jay Uso's story of, I'm just trying to be a better guy, like fuck off and give me a chance. Cody Rhodes coming in and it's his dad's match and not only is it him walking into his dad's match, but you know, he also had to bring the bull rope in with the with the cowbell and all that and all that was fine. He um he had a tense moment with uh Rollins when they both had the rope and he wanted to do some double team stuff with the rope and you could see them yelling at each other and Seth didn't want to help him and he's like, come on, I asked you for your help and he did. A couple weeks ago in a promo on Raw, he said, I don't need you to be my friend, I'm not going to be your friend, all I need from you is one night and he just sat there in the ring, in the cage saying, come on, one night, one night and then they actually did it and then they came so close to what I wanted. Remember I said, have, have Priest be the last guy in and he cashes in the money in the bank as he enters the cage. Well, they didn't quite do that. They got to... Everybody else is in the cage. The last one into the cage was Dominic Mysterio, who got his ass handed to him, and it was funny. But when Randy Orton was supposed to come out, 
Obviously, they do the countdown, they go to the small cage that has no Randy Orton in it, nothing happens, Judgment Day sort of uh, laugh their asses off. Very, very similar to how uh, the Undisputed Era did that year that Kevin Owens came back to NXT to to join the, the War Games match. But when Randy Orton doesn't show up, out comes Rhea Ripley and said, with her entrance music and everything, with the, with the briefcase for Damian Priest to cash in while he's in the cage. Very, very close to what I what I called. But while she's trying to cash in the briefcase, the briefcase never actually gets cashed in. Because Randy Orton does show up. This is the thing that's going to kind of go under the radar, which is kind of sad. Randy Orton does come back, and dude is fucking jacked. I'm not, I'm not out here to shame anybody, because I look like a pile of undone laundry myself. But... Randy Orton is fucking jacked. Somebody said um, on one of the streams that I was watching, hey, we thought we were getting Randy Orton, and we actually got Batista, which is a hell of a call. Um, but Orton comes in, you know, snap slams for everybody, stares down Jey Uso. They, they, they acknowledge the history between Jey and the bloodline and Randy Orton, but as they're going face-to-face, somebody tries to sneak attack Randy Orton, and Jey's the one that saves him with a super kick. RKO's for everybody. Uh, J.D. McDonough tries to do a something off the top of the cage. Seth and Sammy follow him up to the corner of the cage. Seth and Sammy throw J.D. McDonough off the top of the cage into an RKO. And then uh, Randy, Randy passes, I think it's Damian Priest, over to, uh, over to Cody Rhodes to hit the crossroads for the win. I get that there's sort of a passing of the torch, passing of respect thing to let... Cody Rhodes be the one that actually gets the win, but I'm sorry, the, the, the cutter from the top rope should have been the match-winning thing, and Randy Orton's the one that just returned, so give him the win, why the hell not? But I mean, it's a good show, it's a good show, the, the credits come up in the corner as the as the uh, American Nightmare music plays, and the baby faces stand tall. Living color over the speakers, all the black and white imagery on the on the Tron and on the graphics and everything like that. And of all people, it was Michael Sidgwick on Twitter that said, "I don't even know why they went and bought the rights to uh, Cult of Personality again because you couldn't hear it in that arena." CM Punk has come home to WWE, and. I say this a lot, but I don't. I can't. I don't have anything else to say, really. There's the stuff with Rollins getting pissed off in the aisleway, which is clearly a work. There's the stuff with Drew McIntyre stomping away and, and leaving the arena in a hoodie, which is clearly a work. There's all the amazing matches that we're gonna get from this, which is awesome. There's the fact that very clearly, at one point, they're going to take the jab. They are going to be the company that presents us with CM Punk versus Cody Rhodes instead of AEW. But more than anything else, all I'm going to say and all I'm going to leave you with is this. I say this a lot, and I have never, ever, ever meant it more than I mean it right now. And I want you to say it with me because you guys know the words. This is awesome because it pisses off all the right people. Buckle up, let's go for a ride. I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later. But for right now, I attend. Uh, I'm